the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Jesus will give us the signs that his coming is near, but he will not definitively tell us a day, hour, or year of his return. That's Pastor Mark Finley, and this is Hope Lives 365. At Hope Lives 365, we believe God answers prayer. Keep in mind this telephone number throughout today's broadcast, 888-244-HOPE. Here is Pastor Mark Finley with today's Hope Lives 365. What is the first thought that comes to your mind when I say the word Antarctica? I mean, the very name sends chills through our bodies. We shiver at the thought of that landmass of icy glaciers and snow-covered mountains and frozen lakes and ice-clogged waterways. The average temperature... Now, this is the average temperature of Antarctica during the third quarter of the year, which is the hot season, is minus 81 degrees Fahrenheit. That's the warm season. The coldest temperature ever recorded in Antarctica was minus 167 Fahrenheit. Now, you can imagine that very few people live there, I mean, I'm not planning to sell my home in Northern Virginia and move there tomorrow. There's just a few isolated stations of people studying weather and science. Ernest Shackleton was an Irish-born British explorer who made numerous trips to Antarctica in the early 20th century. Now, on one trip, disaster struck. His boat, the Endurance, got trapped in the ice. And as that boat was trapped in the ice, the ice kept crystallizing and freezing around it until it began crushing the boat. They did have a few small rowboat-like vessels that they were able to get off onto ice floes. But they floated on ice floes, Ernest Shackleton and his 28 men, for months. Finally, they came to a little island called Elephant Island. They were iced in. Little did they know that they would have to be there, at least some of them, for six months. They built huts out of the little wood that they found there. They tried to keep warm but they knew that death was inevitable. So Ernest Shackleton, when the ice broke a little bit, with five other men left there on one of those little boats, and he sailed to South Georgia Island. He left 22 men, and he told them, I will return, I'll be back. When he came to South Georgia Island, he knew from his previous expeditions that there was a little whaling village on the other side of the island. As he 
landed on this one side of the island, he knew he had to cross the island. He had to set foot trudging over the snow-covered mountains, blazing trails where there were no trails in the frigid temperatures. Finally, he arrived. He was able to get a vessel, and they tried three times to get to Elephant Island, but they couldn't get there. The icy conditions delayed their return, and it was impossible because the sea lanes were clogged with ice. Finally, there was a little break in the ice, and Shackleton guided his vessel through that ice. He reunited with his man. Now, when the excitement of reunion passed, and incidentally, not one of those 28 people were lost. Not one of them died. And when the excitement passed, Ernest Shackleton said to them, he said, you know, why is it that you were ready to go? Why is it that you didn't give up hope? Why is it that hope kept burning in your hearts of deliverance? And they said this, every morning our leader rolled up his sleeping bag and he said, get your things ready, boys. The boss may come today. Get your things ready, boys. The boss may come today. In the midst of the horrible condition, these marooned explorers on an uninhabited island, surrounded by ice with little chance of deliverance, never gave up hope. They were inspired by hope. They were motivated by hope. They survived by hope. Tired, cold, freezing, hungry, isolated, on a frozen speck in the midst of Antarctica, they clung to hope. They believed Ernest Shackleton would return. We too are isolated on this island in space, traveling 67,000 miles an hour in the cosmos, in a planet filled with terrorism and natural disasters and crime and violence and immorality. But yet, hope lifts our spirits. Hope encourages our souls. This hope burns within our hearts. This hope that the world is not all that there is. This hope of eternity. This hope of the second coming of Christ. It lifts us up. It keeps us going day by day in the face of joy and sorrow. The hope that deliverance is on its way. The hope that Jesus is coming again. The hope that one day we will get off this sin-polluted planet. The hope that one day we'll head for home. Someone has said, you can live weeks without food. You can live days without water. You can live seconds without air. But you can't live any time at all without hope. And our Bible study this morning focuses on 1 Thessalonians, and it focuses on the great hope of the return of our Lord. Now, in 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. And as he writes, every chapter concludes with a passage on the second coming of Christ. Our major study will be 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But to position us for that study, we'll briefly look at chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. The hope of the coming of Christ was radiating in the heart of the Apostle Paul. It gave him new joy. When he was beaten and his back was ripped apart 
bleeding profusely, the hope of the coming of Christ kept his spirits encouraged. When he was shipwrecked, when he was beaten with rods, when he was stoned, the hope of the coming of Christ kept his spirits high. And so we see that in every chapter. First Thessalonians, the first chapter. And you're looking at verse 9 and 10. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God. He's speaking about the Thessalonians and how the Spirit of God came down and changed their lives. And to wait for his Son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So Paul ends 1 Thessalonians 1 with this ringing affirmation that Christ is coming from heaven. You go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He speaks about his hope, his rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope or our joy or our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? So Paul says, my great joy is that some in Thessalonica have responded to the word of God. Their lives are changed and I will see them when Christ comes again. There's no greater joy than inviting somebody to the evangelistic meeting. There's no greater joy in sitting next to somebody at the meeting that you've never met and praying with them and seeing them come to Christ and one day seeing them in heaven. Paul comes to the end of 1 Thessalonians 2 and he says, my great joy is the coming of Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We look there at verse 12 and verse 13. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do in you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you begin to see this glorious refrain? This refrain that echoes throughout the book. The refrain comes back again and again and again. Paul says, the coming of Christ is inspiring my heart. The coming of Christ is giving me new joy. However high the mountain, however dark the valley, however deep the night, Paul says, let your heart be inspired with the coming of Christ. You see, the idea of the coming of Christ is not some pie in the sky by and by. It's not something which we look at as, oh, maybe something will happen someday. But the coming of Christ is a living hope that when you grasp it in your heart, it gives you joy and gladness today. We can live for today with meaning and purpose because we know the last chapter in the book. We know the end of the story. Christ is coming again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. Well, no means proceed. Go ahead of those that are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ arise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. What joy, that loved one that you've laid on a grassy hillside. You can see that loved one again, that father, that mother, that sister, that brother. So Paul talks in 1 Thessalonians about the coming of Jesus. It is a living hope that fills our hearts, brightens our days, 
It's a shining light that pierces the darkness of our gloomiest moments. It's the north star that shines in our darkest night. It's the beacon that guides us over the rough waters of life. Now the apostle comes to the climax of his message, and this is the basis of our study this morning. What has come before this positions us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Pastor Mark Finley will continue with more in just a moment. Stay tuned. You can grow in your knowledge of God's Word by enrolling in online courses by Pastor Mark Finley. Go to HopeLives365BibleStudy.com. That's HopeLives365BibleStudy.com. When you go there, you will find wonderful courses such as Bible prophecy, discipleship, leadership, or improving your health. These courses are especially designed to help you discover deeper insights into the Bible. Go to HopeLives365BibleStudy.com. That's HopeLives365BibleStudy.com. Or call right now to register, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. 888-244-HOPE. Here now, once again, Pastor Mark Finley. And we begin here with verse 1. And we'll look at each verse and let those verses speak to our hearts. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now it's important to pause right there. Why does the Apostle Paul say to the church at Thessalonica, of the times and the seasons, I have no need to write to you. Why is he not concerned about the timing of Christ's coming in this passage? Why does he say, I don't need to write to you about that? There are two basic reasons. First, Paul had been preaching to them for three straight weeks And he'd been sharing what Jesus taught. So take your Bible, keep your finger or a marker in 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to come back to it. But go over to Matthew 24, verse 42 to 44. This gives us some insight into what Paul said and why. Matthew chapter 24. He says in verse 42 to 44. Watch therefore. Matthew 24, verse 42 to 44. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would have come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken up. Therefore be you ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you don't expect him. Now notice what Paul says and notice what Jesus says. Paul says, I'm not going to write to you about the times and the seasons. Because you already know from the teachings of Christ that Jesus will come rapidly, Jesus will come unexpectedly, Jesus will surprise many. Now some people think they've got it all figured out. They've constructed elaborate time charts. They've constructed complex systems of dates. They have elaborate theories to determine when Jesus will return. In a sense... They think they have more knowledge of Jesus himself or the Apostle Paul. No, they won't tell you that. But Paul said, of the times and seasons, I have no need to write to you. In other words, Jesus will give us the signs that his coming is near. 
but he will not definitively tell us a day, hour, or year of his return. So why didn't Paul need to write to him about that? He didn't need to write to him about it because God had not revealed it to him. But there's a second reason that I think that is even more significant, and it's this. The most important thing in your life is not knowing the time of Christ's return, but it's preparing our hearts for his return. The most important thing is not computing complex dates. It is dealing with the complex issue of sin in our life. The most important thing is not getting our figures straight. It's getting our thinking straight. The most important thing is not some map of end time events in the mind. It's helping us to think the thoughts of heaven. The reason Jesus reveals the signs of his return is not merely to fill our head with cognitive knowledge. It is rather to lead us to our knees in broken-hearted repentance to get ready for his soon return. The signs of the second coming of Christ are not to satisfy our intellectual curiosity. They are to lead us to our knees to prepare for the climax of the ages. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, back to the text. Chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Jesus will come unexpectedly, even to believers. The last day events will take place so rapidly and so quickly that even those who expect Christ to come will be surprised with the rapidity with which those events take place. Now, notice what the scripture says. You're looking there at 1 Thessalonians. Jesus says something very fascinating through the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3. But when they shall say, peace and safety. Now the word safety there in the Greek language is better translated security. They say peace and security. Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains on a pregnant woman. If a woman is pregnant, do you know she's pregnant after three months, six months, nine months? Do you know that? I think you do. Some people in this congregation could testify to it better than others, right, young lady? So you know you're pregnant. You see, the belly's getting a little extended. You feel those little movements inside. But do you know the exact minute that the baby's going to come? Have any women sometimes been surprised with the rapidity of the delivery? They sure have. So look, the Bible says, when they say peace and safety, peace and security... Let's focus on that word peace in our world today. What is peace? It's a mental tranquility. It's an inner harmony. It's a sense of calm. It's freedom from fear, worry, and anxiety. So what is the average person looking for today? They want peace within and they want security without. Those are the buzzwords today. Peace within, security without. I want this inner peace. I want this sense of tranquility. Now... We are living in a generation of postmodern thinkers. And here's the idea of most postmodernism it's this that peace is found within as you live in the present moment. You look deep within inside yourself, you don't think very much about the future, and you find that sweet spot within yourself, and there you find peace. That's postmodernism. 
Now, it originates back with thinkers of the 19th century. For example, Leo Tolstoy said this, there's only one moment in time that's important, and that's now. It's the most important time because it's the only time we have any power on. So Tolstoy's idea is live for now, find the peace within yourself for the now. That's not a Christian viewpoint at all. The Christian viewpoint is we find peace not within some sweet spot in our heart. We find it externally in Jesus Christ. And when you find Jesus, the Prince of Peace, he gives you peace, but he gives you hope about a peaceful future. Now, notice what Albert Einstein said. Einstein said, I never think of the future. It'll come soon enough. So basically, what Einstein is saying is, you live in the moment. Don't worry about the future. But that's contrary to Christian thought. Because Christian thought is, Christ, the Prince of Peace, comes into your heart. He transforms your life. And as he transforms your life, he gives you a new hope for the future. Now, one of the modern thinkers by the name of Robert Karras put it this way. He says, never continue in a job you don't enjoy. If you're happy in what you're doing, you'll like yourself and you'll have inner peace. So Karras' whole thought is, just seek the things in life right now. Whatever gives you peace right now, do that very thing. Now, this is the consistent message of a secular world. This is at the very heart of postmodern thinking. Live for today. Satisfy yourself. Discover peace within. Peace comes from finding this internal sense of harmony. Now, the scriptures have a totally different concept of peace. Peace in Jesus. Peace in his soon return. Now, notice what the Bible says. When they say peace, in other words, they're searching for this inner tranquility. And they're trying to find it, but it can never be found outside of Jesus Christ. It's not found in me. It's found in him. It's not found in some sweet spot within me. It's found in the one that said, come unto me, all you that are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Now, notice it says peace and security. I want you to think about this word security. Security in the light of the uncertainty in the stock market. Security in the light of personal debt. People are looking for financial security today. How can I have financial security? I don't want any congressman to vote to take away my social security. It's more important to me now at 73 than it was when I was a little younger. I want economic security. See, that's what people are looking for. I don't want to think about being redundant on my job. I want economic security. Then we're talking about political security. You know, in the light of North Korea, nuclear weaponry, light of Iran, Letting growing tensions over China, uneasy relationships with Russia. People are uneasy, so what do they want? Peace within and security without. But then there's that personal security. I mean, you'd think you could send your child to school without the thought of getting shot. I mean, you'd think you could take your family to a country music concert in Las Vegas. I'm not taking my family there. Without the thought of a mass terrorist attack. You see, you'd think about that. I mean, families go and they get attacked by terrorists at some music concert. You'd think you can open up your mail in Austin, Texas, voted as one of the most desirable cities in America to live, you think you could open up your mail without it exploding and killing you. I mean, wouldn't you think that? You sure would. So you would think that you could have economic security. What are people looking for today? Economic security. They're looking for political security. They're looking for personal security. They're looking for job security. Now, Paul's point is this. When they say peace and security... Then sudden destruction comes. Paul's point is that the only place you can find true peace, the only place you can find true security, you can't find peace within yourself because it's not there. And you can't find security in society because it's not there. You cannot find security in the economy 
not when it's getting ready to go bust and you're 19 to 20 trillion dollars in debt. You can't find security in some gated community. Where can you only find security? In Jesus. And in the hope of his soon return. Now, at this point in our Bible passage, the scriptures give to us three contrasts. Now, I'd like you to take your Bible and look at those three contrasts. There are three major contrasts. So he says in verse 1, of the times and seasons, you have no need that I write to you. You're not going to know the exact time. Know that I'm going to come quickly, unexpectedly. When the world is looking for internal peace, verse 3. When the world is looking for security, verse 3. God says, verse 4. But you, brethren, not in darkness, that the day is going to overtake you as a thief. Why is it not going to overtake you as a thief? Because you're going to be prepared. And then he gives three contrasts. He talks about light and darkness. He talks about watching and sleeping. And he talks about sobriety and drunkenness. And it's those three contrasts that we want to spend some time with. Notice verse 4 and verse 5. There are three contrasts in the rest of this passage. Verse 4. But brethren, you are not in darkness, so that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Now notice in those two verses, he's contrasting two things. What are they? What are the two things that Christ is contrasting in those verses? They're what? Light and darkness. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time for today's Hope Lives 365. Join us tomorrow when we complete this message. Thanks for listening today to Hope Lives 365 with Pastor Mark Finley. At a time when people have accepted the evolutionary hypothesis, seeing is believing, reveals the remarkable design in nature, demonstrating a mastermind behind all of creation. Where there is a design, there must be a designer. And where there is an intelligent design, there must be an intelligent designer. Your faith will be strengthened as you read Mark Fenley's Seeing is Believing. Call today for your copy. Your donation of any size helps to keep us on the air and support the Hope Lives 365 ministry. Seeing is Believing. Call 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673 or visit hopelives365.com. Thanks for listening today to Hope Lives 365.
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.